But I want you to know there's a word for the Lord for you today. He's going to encourage you and strengthen you. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to John chapter 16. I'm going to be reading verse 33, and I'm reading today out of the New King James Version, and and I want to share with you today about the peace of the believer. In the world in which we live today, having peace is so important to us that know and love Jesus Christ. And I pray that I'm glad you're here today out of everything that you could be doing on this holiday weekend. I'm glad you're here. And for those of you that are joining us on live stream, wherever you may be today, we're, we're glad that you're tuning in and believing that the Lord will touch you and speak to you wherever you are. But today I want to talk about the peace of the believer. Uh, one of my favorite speakers and authors is a man by the name of A.R. Bernard who pastors in New York City. And I love listening to him and reading some of the things that he has written. And he had done some blogs as it related to peace and, and some of the things that he had uh, spoken about and written about are are kind of the foundation for where I'm going today, and I wanted to make sure that you know that. But out of John 16, 33, the Scripture says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Heavenly Father, as we recognize your presence... You are such a great and glorious God. You walk with us and strengthen us, encourage us. You help us, provide for us. You are a great and mighty God. And as we approach your word today, we recognize that you said your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. And so, Lord, I know that that which you've laid upon my heart is going to be interpreted and applied in different ways through different believers today. But I pray that more than anything else, what they will recognize is the Spirit's guidance for the truth that they desperately need right now. And so, Lord, as we have prepared this place in worship and praise, now I ask that you would break the fresh bread of your word and that through me you might feed your people. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of John was written primarily to express the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John sees Christ as God. In fact, those of you that are familiar with the Word of God, especially in John, you know that it opens in John 1, 1 through 4, when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things that were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And then you go down a little bit farther into verse 14 and it says, and the word became flesh. That is a miracle right there. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John speaks of a very deep and profound intimacy within his book between Jesus and his disciples. In fact, the night that Jesus was betrayed, it revealed, he revealed that to his disciples in the upper room. And and in that moment of time, they kind of all looked at John to see if he knew who was going to betray Jesus. 
And that was because of the closeness that John and Jesus and the relationship that they had. In fact, you read a little bit later on that Peter even became a little jealous when Jesus expressed a certain level of love for John when he found out that, that Jesus was going to bring a greater revelation of himself through John. And so John is the one who recalled, uh, recorded the bulk of the conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And on this night of great intimacy in the upper room where they could all celebrate the Passover together, they were used to this being a Jewish tradition that pointed back to the exodus from Egypt. But that night, they celebrated it differently because no longer would it be the Passover lamb that they had understood in the past because Jesus himself was describing to them that I am now the Passover lamb. And so it was a very deeply personal moment and intimate when Jesus says to them, this is my body which is broken for you. He in that moment was expressing to them what he was about to go through something that he didn't look forward to. He recognized he was going to have a terrible beating, that he was going to be hanging on a cross, and it was in the middle of this, this anguish that he begins to express himself to them. And at the end of that meal, he says to them, this is my blood, the New Testament or the new covenant that is within my blood. And they understood that because of the requirement that blood had to be shed in order for there to be the remission of sins to be able to take place. And so it was very intimate, and Jesus was feeling the pain of what was ahead of him. As I was reading this passage this week, I recognized that on the first Sunday of the month is generally a time when we celebrate communion together. We are not doing that this month, but our hope is that next month we can. For those of you that were with us in January and February, you recognize that we were trying to have communion with those self-contained cups that everybody hated. Well, guess what you're going to get next month? The only way that we can have communion together is those self-contained cups. So here's what we're doing. We're waiting to order till the very last minute so that all the old stock goes to all the other churches. And that what we get, it will at least be fresh. <laughs> and we will be able to participate in that together next month. Jesus knew as he was speaking to the men in John that they were going to abandon him that very night. He knew that this was the last opportunity before his death and resurrection for him to speak into the lives of these men who would take his message and carry forward his mission to the world and into the future. And so our text begins in verse 33 with these words, these things I have spoken to you. Now, when we see that passage of Scripture, we always want to go back and say, what is it that he had been speaking? And so for those of you that may have your bulletin on your, on your phone because we have put that out there electronically, the first point is the things Jesus had spoken about. He is referring to some things that he had already talked to them about, and as we review a little bit, it begins to build for us an understanding and a context of what he was about to do. For those of you that know the book of John well, you'll know that in John 13, Jesus does something that begins to demonstrate the attitude that his disciples should have toward each other. Jesus bows down, and he washes their feet, and he dries their feet. And when he gets to Peter, you know that Peter is shocked, and he's going, no, 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 no. You are not going to wash my feet. I should be washing yours. And 
Jesus explains, listen, I'm demonstrating something to you that you need to see and understand. And Jesus was teaching them that their attitude toward each other should be an attitude of service and humility. And just like he humbled himself to them, they should humble themselves toward each other. You get to John 14, and he continued to reassure them because he was beginning to tell them at this point that I am physically going to leave you, but I am not going to abandon you. He said, I'm going to leave you, but you're not totally going to be on your own because I am going to go so that I can introduce you to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would come and literally take my place among you. The same comfort that you have received from me, the same love that you have received from me, the same guidance and insight and understanding that I have given to you, the Holy Spirit will now assume that role within your life. And he will do these things for you, so I want you to be assured that you will not be left alone. In John 15, he talked about the relationship that they would have with him in ministry when he said this to them. I am the vine, you are the branches. So understand this, he said, apart from me, if you separate from me, if you move away from the message, if you move away from my life, you can do nothing. The relationship that you will have with me in ministry will be one that as you were attached, my life will flow through you, but if you detach, nothing ever will be accomplished, so stay attached to me. He said, in fact, not only are you the branches, but let me tell you what will happen to you as branches tapped into the vine. He said, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to purge you. I will take it and move you through a process of cutting away those things within your life that are unproductive so that what will become of you will be left more productive than if I had done nothing in your life whatsoever. And after John 15 and talking about the relationship in ministry, he gets to John 16 and he begins to talk to them about answered prayer. And he says, prior to this time, you have never used my name. You have never used my authority and you've never stood on our relationship in prayer. But from now on, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it for you. He says, ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. He moves from that to tell them something that is absolutely unbelievable to them and today still makes the hair on my arm stand up when he says to them, I want you to know the Father loves you just as much as he loves me. Would you, would you let that sink into your mind for just a moment? The Heavenly Father loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. He said the Holy Spirit is going to come and would bring all of these things to your remembrance. He said the Holy Spirit will speak to you in such a way that you will be able to write with historical accuracy. So today we have the Gospels. He said the Holy Spirit would speak through you prophetically and speak through you the things that, will to, that were yet to come. He said the Spirit would lead you and guide you in all truth and that He would never leave them nor abandon them. And so in these final words, as He's speaking to the lives of these men, they are hearing this from Him. And so 
in this very intimate time with his disciples. By the time he gets to the end of chapter 16 and begins to speak to them about things that will be ahead of them because of their relationship with him, he has already highlighted everything of why they don't have to be afraid. But he said, there are some things that you're going to face because you're going to represent me in this world. He said, there's going to be those that you will face that will misunderstand you and misunderstand your message, and they will think that persecuting you is hurting my cause. So they will point you out and pick on you. He said, you're going to deal with persecution and trials and tribulation. He said, but when these things come upon you, I want you just to take a deep breath and sit back and remember this. You're in good company because everything you will be going through, I went through first. And then he gets to John 17. And he prays for them. And I love the words of this prayer when he says, Father, I pray not that you will take them out of this world, but in the world keep them. Protect them from the evil one. He said, I pray not only for these, but I pray for all of those who will believe in me because of their words. To you and I today, that is us. We are here today because from that push of the gospel at the moment the disciples stepped out, others have received the Lord. Some of your families changed generations ago, and today we celebrate the fact my name is written in the Lamb's book of life today. Hallelujah. I am one of those that Jesus prayed for in the 17th chapter of John. He prayed for all of the believers throughout history up to that point in time and to come. And so in this intimate meeting with Jesus and his disciples, this conversation as he's pouring into them in preparation for his absence because he recognizes that from this moment forward, he's going to be entrusting the care and entrusting the responsibility of the mission of the gospel into their hands. And he trusted them with it. And he said, you're going to carry this, but you're not going to be taken out of the world, but Upon your words will be the foundation upon which the church will be built. And so in this very important time, Jesus speaks to them. And when you begin to think about the surroundings, Jesus knows as he's having this conversation with them that his time on earth as a human being is very close to ending. He knows what's ahead of him. He is dreading the pain and anguish that is coming his way. But he suppresses his personal feelings. He suppresses all of those things that are in his heart so that he could speak a word of encouragement and strength to those who were going to carry his message. As I was studying that this week, it began to dawn on me, how many times in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ have you found that some of your most effective times of ministry in the lives of others is when you are under the most pressure yourself? How many times does that just seem to fertilize the soil of your testimony so that when you are struggling with something and you're asking God, how are you going to work this out, people come alongside of you and in that you suppress your own feelings so that you can minister to them exactly where they are. God has always used those times in most effective ministry. And so we get down then to verse 33 in chapter 16 because 
Chapter 16 opens up with Jesus telling them what they're going to go through, and then verse 33 becomes a very powerful lesson for them on what peace really is, and it speaks to us today. And that's our second point of peace and trust. It says, these things I have spoken to you. We just highlighted what it meant up to that point. That in me, you would have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's important for us to note that when Jesus speaks and uses the word tribulation, it really is used in two different ways. He spoke of tribulation as a period of time that was coming in the future, a time in human history that was yet to come. And in those times, he attaches the word great to it. In other words, there is coming a great tribulation that is spoken of in Matthew 24. It's alluded to in Matthew 21 and spoken of in the book of Revelation. And by the way, I just want you to know with everything that's going on in our world, we've had so many questions lately that starting in September and probably all the way through Christmas, I'm going to be doing a series on the book of Revelation. So please be in prayer as we go through that. But he was speaking of a great tribulation, a time where humanity would experience unprecedented chaos. And he lets them know that when this chaos reaches critical mass, I don't plan to be here. (laughs) There's something for the church called the rapture. It's talked about that the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we who are alive and remain are going to catch up with them in the air forever to be with the Lord. I am looking forward to that. Oh, hallelujah, the benefits of being in Jesus Christ, the things that we will get to escape as a result of that. But that is one of the ways in which he uses the term tribulation. There's a second way that Jesus uses it. And it's relative to the context of John 16 here because he uses it to express to us suffering and affliction that not only the disciples would experience, but suffering and affliction that is common to all humanity. Now let me just add this thought in here because I've heard this before and I want us to be scripturally accurate and theologically sound. There are people who think that when they are Christians, that when they experience sickness or disease or setbacks in life or physical stress, I have heard them say, oh, I am just carrying my cross. That is wrong. I need you to know that is wrong because if that is true, then there are people who do not know Jesus that are carrying Jesus' cross because that is something that is common to all humanity. Everybody has physical issues and mental issues and emotional stress and the only cross that we bear as children of God is the persecution that we experience because of our public identification with Jesus Christ. And by the way, that is growing day by day. We always thought it was coming. Well, it's here. It's here. We are experiencing more and more persecution because we are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are unashamed to carry his name to be publicly identified with him. So we understand that through conversion, Jesus made us part of a new ideal in eternity. We became new creations. We became people with a new identity. The old is dead and gone. The new is alive in the spirit of the Lord. And that is a remarkable thing that takes place in our life. But... He didn't instantly from that moment where we received Jesus take us to heaven. He left us here in this world. And he left us in the context of time and space and human experience. So even as believers, 
we experience the same suffering and the same afflictions that is common to all men. And for someone to say, once you become a Christian, all those things go away is absolutely wrong. But I will say this. We deal with it differently as Christians. Our attitude is different. Our approach to the things we face in this world is different. Because we see the hand and favor of God who intervenes in the situations of his children because we belong to him. We anoint people with oil. We pray the prayer of faith. We've seen divine healings take place as God intervenes in a situation because of his great love and favor upon his people. We also know that he doesn't heal everybody the way that we think he should at the moment that we think he should. There are moments in life when we are left to suffer through and to plod through issues that we wish we didn't have to. But what we do know is that in the middle of it all, we have not been abandoned. We are not alone. The guidance of the Holy Spirit is there as well as His strength and His mercy. So we don't face challenges the same way that unbelievers do, but we still face them. So Jesus, in this conversation with these men, is wanting to make sure that as they prepare to carry his message and the vision forward, that they do not fall under the misconception that everything is going to be fine just because you're working in the ministry and you know Jesus is your Savior. Jesus knows the stress and affliction that's ahead of them. He knows the stress and affliction that is common to mankind today. But he says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. How many of you have ever read the book of Job all the way through? How many of you get about two chapters in and say, I'm moving to something more joyful than this? In the book of Job, you get to the end of it and you're really, really glad you're not Job. But he experiences tribulations that is a general reference to affliction and, and spiritual hardship and emotional and mental and physical and financial distress. You know, we, we see in this that he loses his family and he loses his wealth. He loses his health and he's surrounded by so-called friends that come around him and are convincing him that the reason all of this is happening is because he did something wrong. Let me tell you something. When you're in the middle of distress, you better have good friends, not bad friends. Because his friends were lousy. And in all of this, they were trying to remind him, you've done something wrong. But Job says something in Job 14.1. He says this, man that is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. Now, is that not an encouraging verse for you today? <laughs> is anyone here born of a woman? Just checking today. <laughs> Three of you raise your hands. I am unbelievably worried at this particular time. Man that is born of a woman is but a few days. Say, what does that mean? Well, I know that we have teenagers and kids and college students here, and you think your life is going to last a long time. Let me tell you something. The older you get, the more there is to look back on you're going, where did it go? Because it goes really, really fast. In fact, Cindy and I celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary last week. And uh, yeah, thank you. I did good. And we were reminiscing about our, our vows that we had given to each other. And, you know, in our early 20s, some of the words of our vows were we looked forward to growing old together. 
Any of you ever have that in your vows, any of you? Some of you? We were going to grow old together. Do you know in your early 20s you never think it's going to happen? I was getting out of bed the other day and I groaned and Cindy goes, you are getting to be such an old man. And I turned to her and I said, well, you know what? You are as beautiful today as the day that I met you. I am not stupid. And so we recognize that our life in the backdrop of human history, it's just a few days. And the reality is that of those days, some of them are going to be great days. And some of them are going to be filled with heartache and trouble. And so Job is expressing the reality of life. And when he says, man, you know, we're born of a woman and it's a few days and it's full of trouble. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's letting them know that they would experience these pressures that are common to man. But in verse 36, 33, excuse me, he says, these things I've spoken to you, I've, I've spoken these things into your life to prepare you for this moment, that in me you may have peace. He said that in where? Okay, we're going to do this again. I know some of you have only had one cup of coffee this morning. Some of you were up late last night because your neighbors were still firing off rockets at one in the morning. In in Jesus looked at them after pouring all of this into them and said this, in me, in me. In other words, what he wants us to recognize is that in Christ there is a position. Do you know that the moment we submit our lives to Jesus, we are in Christ? It's a position that we have, and it's in that position when I stand before the Father and the enemy wants to make all these accusations against me of why I shouldn't go to heaven, the Father's going to look and see Jesus because I'm in Jesus. I have a position in him, and I will be declared righteous through Jesus. There's a position I hold there. There's also an experience of being in Jesus. We live our life in Christ so that everything that we do and say reflects him as we move forward. And there's also the condition of being in Jesus. And he said, it is in me. I told you all of this, that in me you may have... Okay, we're going to do that again. In me you may have... How many of you need peace today? In me, you, did you notice it says may have? You have peace in me. And then he continues with a part that I wish he would have left out. In the world you will have what? Did you know that that's a promise in the word? How many of you have underlined that promise as one of your daily verses? I didn't think so. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. It's a promise. He's saying, I promise you that life as you live it in this world is not going to be easy. You're going to experience physical pain. You're going to experience mental and economic and sometimes political stress. And it can come from so many different locations and directions. And the only place that you can find peace in the middle of everything that's going on in the world is in me. Another thing that he in this passage is telling them is that in the world, our world is incapable of producing anything that will give you peace. The world simply can't produce something that is uniquely divine in nature. 
And so he said, my divine nature provides peace. The world's fallen nature cannot give you that. It's incapable of it. In the world, what it's producing in you is tribulation. But in me, what you will have is peace. And it's powerful because the disciples recognized prophetically that they were in the presence of Jesus, who to them was known as the Prince of Peace. In Him. He's the one that produces it. And in Jesus, I have peace. And in the world, we've had conflict since the very beginning. Since Cain and Abel started it all out. And the reason is because in our world, we are constantly juggled by competing human interests. And Jesus said, in me, in me, you will have peace. And then he continues, and he said, in the world, you'll have tribulation, but, but, be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Listen, this is really important. Because Jesus overcame the world, my faith in Jesus, your faith in Jesus, makes you an overcomer. It's not your own ability. It's not your own strength. It's your position in Christ that produces in you His ability to lead you to become an overcomer. The only place in the entire universe where peace can be found is in Jesus. So anything that the world offers you or claims to give you peace is false advertising because it's incapable of giving you something that it has nothing of. Only God can give you peace that, that surpasses all of your understanding. In fact, in Isaiah 26.3, there's a compatible verse. And it says this, you will keep him in perfect perfect. That word perfect, the way that is written means whole, complete, without flaw. You will keep him in perfect, whole, complete, without flaw, peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How many of you ever had to preach to yourself in a situation? How many of you ever had to remind yourself of something that the Word of God says when you needed it the most? Do you know I want you to know the Holy Spirit living within you can become one of the great preachers to yourself. There are these moments when, when you're being swept downstream and things and you just need to get your feet down on the bottom and, and somehow you put it down and you begin to preach to yourself. This is what I know of God. This is His promises to me. And, and you set your feet down and you stand up in the middle of that and you recognize you have set your mind on Him. And He holds you and He gives you a peace because you trust Him. When you are in turmoil, your mind can be filled with everything but God. And you have to discipline yourself. It takes, it takes a discipline of the believer that in those moments say, I am going to think on the things of God. I'm going to run back to the Word of God. I'm going to sing worship courses today. I'm going to fill my heart and fill my mind with the things that I know to be true of God as it relates to me in the middle of this trial and temptation and turbulence. Because the battle for faith is really a battle that takes place in your mind. And if you don't focus your mind on God, then you won't experience that peace because you have to focus on Him to be able to receive it. And so in conclusion, let me pull these two verses together. John 16, 33 with Isaiah 26, 3. So for the believer, here's what we know. Peace is not the absence of trials and tribulation. 
Peace is not the absence of suffering or persecution or pressure. Peace is not the absence of these issues. Peace is the presence of trust in God when you're going through it. Peace for the believer is the presence of trust in God. So if you are not experiencing peace today, it's because your trust is not in God. Let me repeat that. If you are not experiencing peace today, it is because your trust is not in God. And that's a tough statement, but it's true. You can only be at peace when you have made the decision that in the face of everything that you're going through, you are going to trust God. It's in those moments when we feel the temptation that, is this what it feels like for God to abandon us? I know he promised he never would, but it sure feels like I'm going through this alone. It feels right now as if I'm isolated. It feels like now that your strength is not there. And in those moments, you have to train your mind to trust in God and just say to yourself, I will not leave this place of trust regardless of what happens in my life. I'm going to trust God that he knows what he's doing and he's working things out for my good. Dr. A.R. Bernard says it this way, your measure of peace is your measure of trust. Let me repeat that. Your measure of peace as a believer is your measure of trust. The greater the trust, the greater the peace. The greater the trust, the greater the peace. We will all face adversity. We will all be tempted to give up. There are going to be things that happen in your life and you are not going to understand it. And you may not even process it right. You may not come to the right conclusions about it. You may not even be able to reconcile what's happening in your life with Scripture or your knowledge of God at that moment. But what we have come to understand is this. We will not move from the place of trust. But we'll set our feet steadfast because it's in that trust that God brings peace. And the peace of the believer is tied to our trust in God. Kim, if you'd please come. One of the things in conclusion that I've always found interesting is Paul had asked God for something specific. And three times the Bible says that Paul asked God to remove a specific situation, a thorn in the flesh, an, an issue, whatever it may have been. And God's answer to Paul was this, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in what? Your weakness. You want to know why that made Paul so angry? Because Paul didn't like to be weak. I don't know about you, but I have a lot in common with Paul as it relates to that. I think Paul's motivation in praying that prayer was more that this situation would be removed because it wasn't so much the affliction and how it was affecting him, but it was how it made him look. It made him look to those around him as if he's weak. And he'd go, I, I don't want to be weak, and I don't want to look weak. I want people to see me as strong. And, the, and, and Jesus kept saying, in this affliction, you just need to know this. Your weakness is not, is not a drawback to your character, but it's an opportunity for my strength. Otherwise, you will get the impression that you're doing this. And you are not, Paul. I am. So oftentimes, we look at our weaknesses and we're going, I just want to be like them. 
God, why can't I be like him? Why can't I be like her? They don't struggle with this. And the Lord says, it's in your weaknesses that I get to demonstrate to everybody around you how powerful I am. Because when you've submitted to me, it's not your glory that matters, it's mine. And so in the middle of all of this, Jesus is getting ready to send these men out. And he knows that he's sending them to something that's not an easy task. But he tells them the same thing that he tells us today. No matter what, don't you dare leave the place of trust. Don't you dare. Because in the trust is the peace. Did any of you need to hear that today? Would you stand with me? Lord, you already know my mind, so I'm just going to be really honest with you. I hate that we have to close church this way. I so desperately wish that we could just invite people to come for a moment of just standing together at the altar and just submitting ourselves again and everything in our lives just to you. But I know that we can't right now. But that doesn't hinder you from doing your work. So what I ask right now, Lord, is for those that have been struggling with issues within their life, difficulty, questions that are unanswered. Lord, I don't know what direction I'm supposed to go. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And in the middle of all of that, as you were telling your disciples in this intimate gathering in the upper room, reminding them of everything that you had said to them, so you remind us. Today we live in the period of time where you have dispensed the work of the Holy Spirit among us. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us leads us to praise the name of Jesus and worship and honor and glorify your name. The Holy Spirit indwells us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means that we are in Christ, and there we find peace. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us as we increase our level of trust. There are people here today that need to preach to themselves. They're just bouncing along, bobbing in the wake of, of things that are happening in their life. Help them to put their feet down on the solid word and stand up and remind themselves of what you have told them. And that in that moment, peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above, sweeps over their spirit. Forever I pray in boundless billows of love. So, Father, in the middle of a turbulent nation, a sick world, a disease running rampant, we take our place of trust in you and we stand in Christ for there we find peace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen, amen and Amen.